expender. <laughs> I know. I didn't want to be shivering my way through it, so I thought I'd put a bit of heat on and that way I can relax. This is a good, hopefully quick opening topic. Now, uh, you know, I come, I come from Austin, Texas, uh, a land of warmth, and we don't have this thing. We have this in, in, uh, in the States and New England, and I think in Europe, you'll have to tell me if, if in your neck of, of, of uh, the world you have this, but we have something called radiators here, which are these gigantic pieces of metal, and I think hot water comes into them, and there's like this valve on one side, and you can, the, like any valve, you can, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the mystery of like, uh, you know, you go to a hotel and, uh, you know, they have, they have like that, that shower knob and you just have to resolve the mystery of how do I get the perfect balance of hot and cold water. And this, I feel like when it comes to a radiator, this knob, it's one knob that you can turn all the way off and you can spin it several times to turn it all the way on. And I don't have the background to really know just the whole concept of that knob. Like, like the more I turn it on, does that mean the warmer it is? Or is it a binary thing? And then like, is each knob different? And then what's the theory of the radiators? Like, just like, cause, cause in the central heating world, all you do is you go to the thing and you put in, of course, in Fahrenheit, like what degree you want, and then you walk away. And it's, it's perhaps the simplest device in a household even simpler than a washing machine, which usually requires two to three button presses just to make the thing go. Uh, but well, you've stumbled upon a, a, you know a topic that I know a little bit about. So uh, these valves are called TRVs, and uh -huh. they contain a, a, a sort of a, a liquid mixture, if you like, like a, like an oil or something. And depending on what you set that thing to and how warm the room is. It will either push a pin in or out to allow water to flow into the radiator or out of the radiator. So oh, wow. that's how it works. You turn your knob. And you said and you it... don't do DIY. You clearly I don't. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, wait, wait, wait. I, I, was, I was so amazed at your initial explanation that I missed the second part. Is it actually <laughs> taking into account the temperature of the room? What, yes. what's, what's really? Yes, not usually on a regular TRV these days, it would be filled with a sort of an oily mixture. And as the room warms up, um, it will release the, uh, it will close the pin. And as the room cools down, it will release the pin. Okay. Okay. So is the advice that I should just turn it all the way on or does that like maximize it? Like what, what do will, I want to do? That will give you the most heat most of the time. So, okay. you know, you should sort of set it to a level where if the room's cold, it'll come on. If the room's kind of okay, it'll go off. That's Fascinating. Finding the balance is hard, but okay. I've got these, right? So okay. And, and then, ah, and then give me come to those. I oh, those yeah. Yeah. I was thinking maybe we should install it, but I feel like I'd have to, you got to probably turn off the whole system and drain it or something. I, I don't know. This feels no, like no, a, this, this pops straight off. TRVs mm. can be changed any by anybody. Really? Other brands are available. <laughs> okay, so so then so then the way the whole thing works is I have I have a hot water heater somewhere in my house. I have one of those fancy ones that's like not a gigantic tank. I don't I don't I mean that's the old school American thing is you have a tank that's like about as tall as me and you hook it up to electric or gas and it just keeps it hot. And yeah. and like so I have one of those new ones that's just like this box hanging on a wall that I guess does it on demand. And uh, so essentially 
what the radiator system is doing is taking very hot water and putting it into these big metal things so that it, as the hot water cools down, I'm no physicist, I got a degree in uh, philosophy and English, but the, the, as, as the water cools down, the heat goes out of this highly conductive thing called metal and, and in theory heats up the whole space, right? Right, yeah. And now, and now- It then flows out of the extremely not good uh, double glazing into the atmosphere now that was <laughs> my next that was my next question is i feel like a lot of my radiators are right underneath windows which seems like a bad idea like it seems like you would want the radiator to be against a solid wall towards the center of the house so that it has the maximum so even if because i think i think Hot stuff wants to go towards cold stuff, right? Or hot and cold want to equalize. So if you had the radiator on the center part of your house, it's and then you've got coldness radiating from the glass, you've got coldness coming towards the heat. And so the coldness is going to like pull the heat towards the middle of the room. And then also it's going to get the chance for the coldness to kind of like heat up a little bit. Whereas if you have the radiator right next to the window, it's just, as you were joking, it's going to just like suck out the glass. And uh, so it seems... I might I hazard like to use the word away. stupid thought, to say putting a radiator next to a, a window is not a good idea. Well, having read a bit about that, because I had similar thoughts, um, apparently, no, putting it by the window is exactly where it should be. Ah, and perfect. It a, a kind of a wall of hot air that stops cold air coming in through the window. It rises up towards the ceiling, then goes around the room. Okay. Provides almost like curtains on a window, provides insulation, and therefore you actually do want them. Oh man, that's a relief. I guess that also explains that when you walk into a uh, a, a store, you feel this like downdraft of hot air, like like right next to the yeah. door, maybe. Yeah, same philosophy acts as a barrier. Oh, man, that's such a relief to hear. Well, I thought maybe just you know uh, a stream of hot air describes me as a, as a podcast co-host, so, <laughs> so that's good. But thermodynamics is hard, though, isn't it? It's really hard. Yeah, it's yeah. difficult to get uh, your head around. It's like what. Yeah. yeah. All right. Just okay. A small step from here to a data data center design. Now this, files, and then we're we're back fifteen years in my career. <laughs> just just to close that off, that might explain why the kitchen is the coldest place in our our house because it has single pane glass, and it has big French doors, and the radiator is on the opposite wall of the the French doors. So maybe uh, there you go. That might be a problem. Yeah. You yeah, you need you a new it. kitchen. It's the only solution. <laughs> you want to maybe put your PCs under the window. And, oh, that's uh, my. Run NVIDIA graphics cards on them or something. Yeah, my, my, my Bitcoin mining farm and put, put yeah, right over there. You'll get your Bitcoin and a warm room. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, speaking of warm rooms, uh, last week we finally had our Spring One online uh, conference. I think Spring One Essentials, as, as we called it. And it was, it was uh, I believe we're also repeating it for people in the, uh, the non-Western part of the world. Uh, is that next week? I think it's February at yeah, some point. February third, is it? Second third. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think uh, I it, it was we had a three day event last week. If you want to go to springone.io, uh, I don't think we have the replays there, but you can register and probably be notified when there's replays. Yeah, but, they're uh, coming. They are yes. coming. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I have to admit, I didn't watch every single talk. Uh, however. Uh, I the 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 talk I want the the three that I wanted to highlight are, are three that uh, on the first day there's there was a there was a, a a good opening from our CEO Ragu and I think I think what was what was vital there for people who care about this space is just really getting a sense of like how 
application development kind of fits into uh, what we here at VMware are up to. Um, and you can kind of hear him. It's, it's you know, a three-minute talk, so it's not like you're going to have the entire world explained to you. But you get you get a good indication of like how, how uh, all of this fits together. And then after that, uh, James Waters had a talk kind of explaining the idea of uh, what a golden path is, which is sort of the theme of, of a lot of the conference and kind of uh, a little bit of the background and the why of how that came about. And then finally, uh, you know, uh, uh, VP of Engineering in, in Tanzu, Catherine, uh, gave a talk at the end that I think did a pretty good job of taking that golden path thinking and explaining how things like the Tanzu application platform kind of fit in and, uh, and satisfy that. But it being spring one, there was also a tremendous amount of commentary, uh, commentary, content about spring and Java and things like that. Which which was which was fun to watch. What what uh what were your highlights been? What did you like about the the three days there? Uh, well, it, it, we should probably mention that we were hosting, weren't we? We were hosting watch parties, so we had the indeed uh, thrill and pleasure of meeting uh, with uh, customers and users of Spring as well in those locations uh, while they uh, watched with us on the big screen. Uh, the cinema screen, if you like, uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the majesty of spring, as, uh, as was covered by, uh, by the event. And the stuff I saw, I saw three. I saw um, Jürgen talking about Spring Framework 6 and all the sort of improvements that have gone into Spring Framework 6, which are too many to mention. I mean, there's just tons of stuff in there. Uh, also, um, I saw Sebastian and, and friends talking about um, uh, Spring Boot 3 and uh, the native stuff uh, that's now mm. included, uh, the Graal VM stuff. And uh, I saw a talk on uh, Tanzu Application Platform as well from um, uh, Greg and uh, Cora, was it? Uh, a few other yeah. folks. Uh, they were they were chatting about uh, uh, Spring. Um, sorry, Spring's use in uh, Tanzu Application Platform or using Spring in Tanzu Application Platform. Uh, so they were really good talks. So and not like super long or anything. I think about forty minutes each, something like that. So really consumable, easy to get your head around. Um, so when the recordings turn up, I would definitely recommend that folks check those out. But more than anything, it was just a chance to chat with people from the uh, from uh, the community. And Ed, you were there as well, weren't you? We got to spend some time together. I was. We finally got to meet, which was great. And like I said, it's, <laughs> actually, it was lovely. I think that's my first time going to the those VMware offices anyway. Um, it's my first time back in a VMware office in years. So mm. just, yeah, customers meeting other VMware people, meeting you, that was great. Right, Wait, yeah. which uh, which yeah. offices were y'all at? Y'all at? Um, we were in the uh, look, the old Pivotal office. Oh, ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So old streets. Uh, Those are nice. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. It's very comfortable, and uh, the folks there were very warm and welcoming. We were we felt very at home uh, straight away when we uh, when we arrived. Uh, right until we so, got yeah, our fire pretty... alarm that kicked us out at the end. <laughs> <laughs> we did get thrown anything. out by a fire alarm right at the end of the event. So the end of the event was kind of curtailed somewhat by oh, that's a, a mischievous fire alarm that went off. But um, someone went home happy with uh, with a huge Lego kit, a beautiful Lego kit of, uh, I think it was a, a Formula One, a McLaren ah, Formula yes. One, you know, because of our tie-up with McLaren. That's what we gave away at the uh, the, the Amsterdam uh watching party yeah yeah how yeah. was it? it it was nice we uh, we actually uh watched the second day 
uh, which which was interesting. So I I uh, I did a selection. I replayed that uh, the the that video from Ragu and the one from uh, James Waters, and we had some discussion about it. And then we watched uh, that one you mentioned uh, about Cora. I'm not about her. That would be fun if there was a a, a presentation <laughs> just about her. But hey, uh, if you're listening, <laughs> that that had her in it. And yeah, I mean, I think I think that talk was a, a great like. It was a good uh, demonstration of like w- w- what what our deal is here, like what we're going for, and, and like what the, the 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 vision, you will, that we're trying to do with the Tanzu application platform. And I think you know that's one of the, that that kind of touches on one of the things I'm always going on about is like so if I were to like say what type of developer do you want me to be, what would that explanation be, right? And you know, the first rung to that thing is always like, oh, it's a developer for everyone. And we don't, and I'm like, no, 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 you, you can't, that, that's cheating, right? Like in the same way that like, it, you know, back back in my day, you would say like, I'm a J2E developer. It's like, I want that kind of label, right? And and if someone says they're like an, a J, Java enterprise uh, developer, you can make about assumptions about 70% of how they work, the tools they use, the architectures they follow, like it's all there. And I think like, that's what I'm interested in our whole cloud native space evolving is just like, you know, we need to come up with what style of development is. Cloud native is way too broad and there's too many options. Like when we were in our green room talking earlier, I was I was uh, recalling that every time I read uh, Ed's weekly news wrap up of stuff, I'm like, boy, our industry needs to calm down. We have too many options, like just like all over the place. But anyhow, I think you can get you can start to get a sense of like what a Tanzu developer is from uh watching that 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 video there which was nice also the london offices are great because i think it uh it contains uh you know this part of the world's only operational ice machine as far as i can tell that it just has and i think it has two of them and you can just go there they sell i think there's even pint glasses so you could get a pint glass and just fill it full of ice and uh have a unique experience uh for for europe and the uk ice check into it that's one of my hobby horses obviously well how, how about uh uh we also had the state of spring come out uh which which I, I i have to admit i've only given like a cursory look i need to sit down you know usually i do uh i get lucky that i get asked to do some analysis of our state of kubernetes and and uh, other ones but i haven't like spent the time to really sit down and and look at what's going on in there but what uh i know you have been and if not you can pretend like you have what what do you uh what do you, you see in there that's interesting? Oh, you know me. I love a survey. Oh, surveys are brilliant. Yeah, that's so many forever. charts. Demographics. Oh, yeah, pretty graphics, all that. Uh, yeah, infographics as well. I'm a sucker oh, for yeah. Uh, and so they all I agree, don't they? It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I love a survey, and this one's no different. So this year's State of Spring uh, survey, it was actually from 22, but it was released uh, to coincide with the uh, spring event. So... Um, you can go and check it out. There's a, there'll be a link in the show notes. But yeah, there's tons of stats in there. Some really interesting stuff. So um, 55% of the 1,400 or so respondents are now reporting that they use mostly modern architectures, with mm. 93% of those folks saying it's microservices that they've chosen as their modern architecture. So huge numbers of folks now using uh, microservices, which is uh, really good to see. You know, it's, it's 
over the past few years, it's been growing and it continues to grow. So that's fantastic. Um, big upswing in some uh, adjacent technologies as well. So uh, folks using Kubernetes more uh, with Springs, folks using uh, Spring in production uh, Kubernetes environments, both on public cloud and on-prem as well. So, you know, there's some numbers in there about that. You should check it out. Uh, also, OpenAPI and um, GraphQL are both um, seeing an upswing this year. And API is now the top use case for Spring. So most people, are, uh, the majority... The largest number of folks are using Spring for things like APIs. So mm. APIs, REST APIs, very, very, very popular. And projects adjacent to that, like Open API documentation for API um, um, interfaces, is also growing. Now, let, let me ask you something about that, because I, 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 I looked over that, and I was thinking it probably is the case that you could choose multiple things you're using Spring for, right? And 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 like... If there's a rise in microservices, like it means that people are using Spring to make APIs for whatever other application they're making. And and so I guess what I'm driving at is like it's what you should I, I think what you should think is that like if you exclude a, using Spring to make APIs, then you get a different picture of like the types of applications people are using. Because it seems like if 93% of people who, who responded are using microservices, then pretty much all of them are making APIs, <laughs> right? And so, like, it, it, put another way, it's not the case, it's probably not the case that most people, that the only thing they're making are APIs, right? Like, they're also making other things, other types of applications, which, you know, it's fine to get a full representation, but it makes me think that, like, the other analysis you need to do is, like, excluding... APIs and like middleware stuff that you all use, like what are the types of applications used? Like, you know, analogously in one of our uh, open source surveys, like uh, when you ask people what types of open source they use, by far away, the number one type of open source they use is operating systems, Linux. And so you kind of have to be like, well, yes, but you know, everyone uses that. So you've got to throw that out and like, look at the rest. But I don't know. That's my theory. Not to dismiss again using it for APIs, but that like it's it's something that that everyone is doing. So it is the number one use case. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's important to say that that ninety three percent is of the fifty five percent who said they were on modern architectures. So there's the other forty five percent who aren't, mm. who are probably doing all sorts of other things. You know, timely for making um, websites and web UIs and. Uh, building, uh, you know, web applications, uh, front ends and stuff. There'll be front ends in other things, you know, front ends in Angular or uh, uh, other um, uh, stuff like Express or whatever. So, th so there's there's always going to be a huge variety, and I think um, Spring does very well there because it has such a comprehensive set of modules that you you'll always whatever your interest you'll always be able to find something that will allow you to build it in Spring. And I think that's part of the reason why it still remains popular. You know, Spring doesn't do the sort of one-trick pony thing. It's a very um, flexible uh, framework. So, yeah. So that's good. Other news from that uh, particular survey, uh, stuff that I liked. More than half said they're going to rely more on Spring. So it's so it's gaining traction still, even though it's a, what, 20, 20, 20 to 25-year-old framework? You know, it's still 
going really, really strong, and people are still, um, you know, double downing on uh, using that particular framework. So that's good. Um, Thirty percent say they plan to use Graal VM for faster startup times and uh, for smaller app footprints. Now, Graal VM is only a few years old, so that's it's showing incredible pace at being understood by everyone, and also folks are starting to think about how they could use it, and some are even using it um, in more uh, detail and more um, uh, places as well. So yeah, there's some really good stuff in there. But well, here's one I wanted to just quickly cover, oh, right? Yeah. A lot of folks also saying that the learning curve is getting more difficult. Now, that's not a reflection of the learning curve of spring per se. I think it's a reflection of the fact that everybody now has developer relations folks and they're all putting out tons of content and the content is everywhere. Mm. So folks are now struggling to find the time to build together the sort of learning path that they need in order to pick stuff up. Uh, so there's a there is a part of the survey that talks about the, the the learning curve getting steeper and what can be done about that. And the good news is that the folks seem to really like the um, uh, documentation from Spring. They find that really really useful, and I think I do as well. I I read it regularly, and I think it is some of the best documentation that's out there for any framework i would say so they really like that but also we've added um spring academy something that we launched at spring one essentials where folks can sign up and go and uh, take learning courses at their own pace in their own homes in their own office working uh, environments wherever they might be they can sign up for courses and start to learn spring from the folks who make it from the the, the spring team themselves so um, there, there are new ways coming online that allow folks to um, get into Spring and, and start to understand it more. And then, and then there's always your videos. You're good at that. I think, I think between the Spring documentation, the Spring Academy, and Bin, you have all you need to know about the Spring world and occasional Python and other things like that. That's good. <laughs> we, we, need, we need to have uh, the daily Bin where you have a little, little video. Hey, there's an idea. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure my wife would disagree that this is a requirement. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, she, she probably... you can you can do like the Mr. Ben. You know, you go in, you come out in a different <laughs> costume every day and you do a little short about spring. It'd be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Put my bowler hats on. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Well, uh, and and then we have you know uh, we we have like so many other talks uh, that we'll be releasing. We we have a, a I don't know what would you call it been a follow on conference stream like I I forget the exact date, but uh, like Spring One will be at uh, VMware Explorer uh, this year in August, and between now and then, every Tuesday and Thursday uh, we'll have a, a what would what would be a uh, basically a Spring One talk. So the it's it's kind of like the endless summer, except it's winter, fall, and then summer. Uh, going into uh, will it be fall? I guess so. I don't. I forget when fall begins. I'm not. I'm not a druid, so I don't know. Uh, and, but you'll every every uh, twice a week you'll get to see some other talks. I don't know about about y'all, but I have a talk coming up on my application modernization stuff. I think in May at some point. I don't know. That's so far in the future, but uh, it's great. All of that stuff is free and uh, you can tune into it. Uh, you can see it streaming uh, here where you're watching this now. Uh, but if you go to springone.io, you can you can check that out. Yeah, and what I liked is that as the weeks go on, so it's every Tuesday and Thursday all the way up through to August, 
the heat is rising in the northern hemisphere the whole time it's just getting hotter and hotter every week until yeah. you get to like may it's already starting so you know the the big thick jumpers are coming off ed uh we'll no, be able to get rid of those we'll be able to turn the heating down uh, with your your TV, tvms or whatever tvrs yeah. what what are they the trvs yeah, yeah. trvs TRVs down uh you'll be able to just glow bask in the glory of the of the uh, golden path to spring one oh, uh, spring and spring one. yeah that that would be nice <laughs> well well speaking of surveys the other thing that i wanted to to, to go over and uh, ed you've done some some good analysis of this is dynatrace came out i don't know you'll have to tell me is this like a one-time or an ongoing thing but they came came out with their uh they don't call it state of spring, but like what's going on in the spring world and uh, their methodology. I guess I don't know if you would call this a survey, but Dynatrace being Dynatrace, uh, kind of like the other ones like Datadog and New Relic, they can kind of look over anonymized um, the stuff that they monitor and manage. I assume it's anonymized. I didn't see any names in the PDF like, you know. The U.S. Agriculture Department runs this many clusters. That would be fun. Uh, but uh, like it, it was a pretty good, I think, a, a pretty good uh, analysis of like what's going on in their user base uh, with Kubernetes. And it looks like from what they said, they analyzed 4.1 billion Kubernetes pods, which seems like a lot from thousands of customers globally. But what uh, what, what are some of the highlights that stood out to you, Ed? What, what did you like in there? So I, I like the fact, as you like said, they're a big provider, right? And they get to see an awful lot of workloads come and go. So it's a decent size. Um, a lot of the surveys come out and we asked 20 people and you're like, right, don't care about that. This one at least was global, covered a load of stuff, you know, which is good. Um, they picked up on a couple of interesting things and had some analysis I wouldn't have thought to do as well. Um, so they picked up annual growth rate of 127%. Um, and that's for the number of Kubernetes clusters hosted in the cloud. And then they also compared that to, I guess, kind of on-prem. Um, and they figured that the, the growth in the cloud is five times what it is on-prem. And again, you know, I, I haven't got all those figures in front of me now. I don't think that would surprise anyone that the cloud has grown a lot faster. You don't know what that base is growing from. But again, mm. you know, I think most people go to the cloud as their default start with Kubernetes. And if that doesn't work, then they'll look at the alternatives. Um, but they then sort of looked at the sizes of hosts. And that was something that was a bit more interesting and the reasons why. And I think they picked out that a lot of the, the cloud-based hosts were smaller and that on-premises clusters were larger and they trying to look or I don't know how much of the, the metrics they had or how much they were sort of interpreting slash guessing. <laughs> um, but they were trying to sort of figure out why that would be the case and just figured it was largely sort of economical, some technical considerations. Mm. And it's around the fact that in the cloud, it'd be very easy to sort of spin up lots of small instances. Whereas if you're doing the racking and stacking yourself in your data centers, you want to spend less time doing it. You're far more likely to throw in a few big hosts. You've got the whole cost model of whether it's CapEx or not. Again, for companies who are still taking months to justify a budget, you only want to do that once and just buy a couple of big servers. So, but it was interesting to see their sort of breakdown and factors like that, I guess, that you don't often think about how they affect maybe even your technical design, how you, uh, how you manage your architecture and things. Yeah, that, that is an interesting, like, uh, I, principle is too strong of a word, but just, like, thing to keep in mind with that is that if you're building your own, and this doesn't, this sounds like it would be bad, but it doesn't have to be, is you probably always would prefer overcapacity. 
<laughs> right? Because like it just takes so much effort on your own to like build stuff that you want to kind of go beyond your current day capacity. I mean, if you think about it from a public cloud providers, I don't know if this is true, but like I assume when they build new data centers, it's over capacity for their current demand because they're building out like, you know, anticipated demand that they would have and they don't want to build another data center. But yeah, you, you take on that kind of management. I mean, that, that, that's, I always feel like that's one of the, I always, I always feel like this, like I'm walking down the street, getting emotional and teary eyed about it. Uh, but you know, I, I often think that like one of the under talked about and appreciated things of, of public cloud is just like not having to think about that stuff. Do you know, what? I've got a theory. I reckon it's yeah. this cattle versus pets again. You think you know, on-prem they still want to, to name their big server? On-prem, on it's all, you know, big clusters named after Simpsons, folks. <laughs> What's happening on Homer today, right? Whereas in the cloud, it's a bit more kind of, you know, they can they can uh, cull those cattle and uh, and recreate them. Uh, maybe Maybe some of it is to do with that. I'd also be interested to find out in terms of the growth, because you said there was 127% of growth there, I'd love to know which industries are sort of fueling that growth the most. I have a sneaking suspicion it's car companies. Really? Why? Yeah. Oh, we've lost Kote. Okay. Why oh, car yeah, companies? I'm curious. Well, as in, you think like, you know, in terms of we've got our agreement, but as in car companies using a lot more tech in them and therefore suddenly wanting to have smart car platforms and things. Yeah, and and if you um, I think it was uh, KubeCon um, last year, back in the US last year. I think uh, I think Mercedes were there, for example, talking about just how many clusters they had, and it was a huge number. And you yeah. and they've been running them for you know quite some time, and and it's still growing, right? So, and this is supporting all the sort of stuff that they want to do with the vehicles now right so all this um you know connected uh driving experiences if you like yes yeah the autonomy stuff generating huge also, amounts of yeah or just that you know just just the increase in things like apps and metrics and gathering data and you know processing that data and having it um available in lots of different uh, places so huge numbers of clusters there were being talked about so i wonder which which industries are driving this uh, increasing in clusters uh and, and how that breaks down i'd love to know yeah was there I'm anything any in the report down, about that probably not i don't remember it seeing anything i think they'd i mean uh, I've seen so many surveys. I saw an open source one this week and they did split it down by vertical and then by region. But I don't think the Dynatrace one did. I think it was all sort of too anonymized maybe. Um, I did see actually, I've seen in the notes here that it it did show the share of cloud-hosted clusters, which is interesting. Um, so it increased from 31 to 45% being in the cloud. So saying next year, there'll be more in the cloud than on-prem. Whereas if you'd asked me, to begin with, I would have thought there would have been at least as much in the cloud because, okay, I, I get sort of legacy workloads. How many of those will have migrated to cloud? That takes a long time. But for things like Kubernetes, which, you know, in technology terms is newish and has mm. been there, you know, the cloud's been there all along. I would have expected there to be more in the cloud already than on-prem, but apparently not. We're still only at 45%. There's still more on-prem today than there is in the cloud, even for Kubernetes. 
Good look, good grief. And was there anything I mean, in there about IoT and about edge and, and you know, using Kubernetes at the edge? Was there any, any discussion of that? Uh, I didn't see it if there was, uh, okay. which doesn't mean there wasn't. I, I sort of scan through, I pick out the, the top headline bits that appeal to me. I put a certain amount in the newsletter, otherwise the newsletter ends up being 50 million pages long. Um, <laughs> I can go back and have a look. Um, but yeah, nothing else I remember. They did have a section on programming languages, which I tend to skip over a lot of because I'm not really a developer. Um, right. So the only big takeaway was kind of Java, which I... I very, very briefly dabbled, not enough to even spell developer really, but you know, I dabbled in Java at college and wrote a few bits. Um, so I'm still intrigued to see that that was, what was it, 65%, I think, um, was still Java apps. Um, yeah, so still done the very most, well. So still yeah. the most popular type of workload. And of course, a huge number of those will be Spring apps on Java as well. So yeah. again, huge representation for Spring there, bringing us full circle back to the uh, top of the show. So was there anything else this week that uh, caught your BDI as you uh, scan your way across the industry papers and uh, news wires? So the other one I picked up on was uh, Mirantis has just acquired Shipper. Um, and Shipper weren't a company I'd sort of seen a lot of. I'd seen the name mentioned here and there. Um, so I did a sort of a quick bit of research into who they were, what that was about. Um, and no surprises, at least for me, this sort of feeds into the platform engineering space again. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, it's the bigger picture, right? Even to spring, people there talking about essentially cognitive overload. It's very hard to keep up with everything. We keep hearing that a lot of the burden of Kubernetes has gone to developers. Suddenly they feel like they might need to learn all of that. Um, in order to just deploy their code, they now need to learn Kubernetes. Um, obviously, that's where we will come in with TAP and say that helps with these. And shippers in that same sort of space. So shippers are essentially almost rediscovering another app engine, Heroku, again. Um, how do we do a CF push? How do we just take our code, click a button, and get it into production without worrying about all that Kubernetes stuff? Um, and they have their own particular way of sort of defining applications and applying policy and letting you see everything in a portal. Um, but it's, you know, there's a huge amount of activity in that space. I think, you know, oh, there we go. We've got Michael back. There's so another, a lot of... another sort of low plumbing method to get yes. your code, your application running in the cloud somewhere. Anything sort of uh, special or unique about it? Is it open source? Is it something you, you can try and you can install locally or install on-prem? I think is there it... is a trial. I don't think it's open source, but again, I wouldn't swear to it, so don't hold me to that one, but I yeah. don't think it was. Um, yeah. And Rantis is going to be... so. Interesting, I guess Morantis said they were going to build it into Lens, and Lens does have an open source version. Um, yeah. Whether it will, whether it wasn't open source and would become more so, I, you know, we're speculating at that level. But um, I guess it's just interesting, again, you know, scaring the news, there's a huge amount of noise, and it's, it could be biased because I'm listening for it, about how do we make, how do we close this gap? Kubernetes is great, brilliant for ops. It's a bit of a pain for developers everyone's trying to close that gap in different types of ways. And these sort of acquisitions just make me think that's gaining more and more in importance. Right? There's a lot more talk about it, but people are putting money behind it. In this case, Mantis saying, yep, we think that's necessary. We need to add that into our portfolio. I kind of see that happening all over. I don't see it slowing down this year either. Well, well Michael, of, welcome back. I, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened to my internet. I do have a wired connection. So now I'm calling in through the magic of mobile web browsers. I'm sure my audio quality is wacky. 
Uh, We've gone for an old outside broadcast good. now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I can I can walk around the house like I'm like I'm in wow. like some some Apple Pod Apple movie, uh, nice. Apple movie TV show. But that's probably a good time to wrap up, if only because my daughter forgot to take her swimsuit to school, so now I have to bring it to her, <laughs> which is always uh, that's that's a, a benefit of having your school be very close, but also a a, a drawback. I'm not sure. I feel your yeah. pain. The alternative is worse, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, the things that dad will do. Uh, you, I, you I, go. Was, I was just that that's a good illustration. I was just putting in I wrote in, in my little newsletter the other day that, that too much of my life is based on choosing the least worst of, of uh, two bad options. Uh, so <laughs> I, need, I need to I need to re-architect things a little bit to figure that out. But speaking of, you know, if you wanted to have a good option. Your good option is go to, to go to tanzitalk.com and check out the show notes for things we talked about and make sure you subscribe. Oh, we can't lose him twice in one show. That's, that would I mean, be... once, is, once is okay, twice is... <laughs> yeah. So I think what he what Michael was saying was go to tanzitalk.com. Uh, you'll find all the shows, uh, including the show notes, and you'll be able to subscribe using your favorite platform, whether that's uh, Spotify or Apple or Google, I think. Uh, I think we've got most of them covered. So, so uh, do check that out. And if you're hungry for more, then uh, maybe... Uh, check out our YouTube channel, um, the VMware Tanzu YouTube channel, or just uh, swing by maybe our tech zone. Um, we'll put uh, a link to that in the show notes so that you can uh, peruse that at your leisure. Michael, welcome back. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> I think he's oh, still not really here. <laughs> welcome to the still version of Michael. Uh, oh. <laughs> it's not normally this quiet. <laughs>